0: Welcome to A Frugal Athlete Podcast, where we interview athletes, both current and former, on the prudent financial practices and smart career decisions they are making. In these episodes, we dive into what it means to be a frugal athlete. You might think that frugal just means being cheap, but as you will soon learn, being frugal is more complex than that. Hey, what's up? I'm Amobi Okugo, a.k.a. A Frugal Athlete. So check this out. We came out with the all-new, extensive, brand-new course. Our course, Rookie Mistakes, is a course that helps young athletes and individuals avoid the common mistakes when starting your career. I provide real-life examples, lessons, insights, all that and more to teach you how to identify the rookie mistakes before you make them. And trust me, I've made a lot. It's all about giving yourself the best foundation and head start to build financial and career stability. For more information or to get the course, check out the link in bio. Hey, what's up, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of A Frugal Athlete Podcast. Today, we got a very special guest, someone that I've recently met, um, but have immediately connected with, someone that's doing amazing things for the athletes in the community, whether you're a student athlete, whether you're a current athlete, but most importantly, recently retired athletes. We got J.R. Butler, tech sales, executive expert, also entrepreneur. At the time of this recording, it is a day before New Year's, a day before New Year's Eve. And J.R. Butler is someone, he, he's, he's a man with a schedule, you know, got lots of things to do, um, but we thank him for making the time today. So, uh, Jr., I appreciate you uh, coming on. How you doing today?
1: I'm excellent. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate
0: it. No, nah, most definitely. So for the folks that may not know you, um, obviously got connected through a mutual relationship. Um, give us a little bit about your background. Uh,
1: so I'm, a, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. I grew up in a big hockey family. My father was a high school hockey coach for about 40 years. Um, He's actually in the Massachusetts Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm the oldest of three boys. Um, I grew up playing multiple sports, hockey, football, baseball, um, and then played in college. And then when I retired, I got, that's kind of when I started my, as you mentioned, my career in tech sales. Um, My, both my little brothers also played division one hockey and my middle brother uh, played, in the NHL, he played uh, over in Europe, uh, in Russia, Asia, and he actually represented the United States in the 2018 Olympics. Um, and then my career took me uh, from, you know, I worked at a couple big companies and then I was an early employee at a startup, went from about 20 people to 800 people and $2 million to $200 million in seven years. And uh, we sold the company to IBM for $2 billion. Um, I ran multiple sales teams there, uh, built out a go-to-market engine, and uh, my last job, I was I partnered with the COO and uh, ran strategy and operations for our whole entire sales organization. Um, after that, I, I went on to another uh, early-stage startup. Was a, I've been a chief revenue officer for a couple of years at Mobi, and I just recently, about six months ago, started my own venture. As you mentioned, I'm now officially an entrepreneur. Um, and it's a it's that's kind of how we got connected. I'm focused on helping athletes transition after their career, uh, very specifically into software sales.
0: That's amazing. And thank you so much for the detailed, you know, background. Can you talk about your own transition, you know, from, you know, playing high level at college, you know, in the hockey space to, you know, you said a little bit of professional as well. Um, how is it, you know, kind of taking a jump from, college um pro to your own transition uh
1: so i can't speak for everybody but i can i can tell you that my my transition was really hard i i you know i grew up my entire life was dedicated to to athletics you know Uh, every summer you know seven days a week first thing i thought about when i woke up last thing i thought about when i went to bed was was really hockey um and, you know, we all end up in a men's league locker room at some point. Right. But, you know, that day when it comes is really, really hard when when you lose, you know, the thing that you love the most. It's not unlike losing a loved one, you know, someone that's been in your life every single day your entire life. So for me, it was really hard. I I uh, I struggled with it. I felt like I had, you know, I was in a position where everybody else was ahead of me, all my peers, because they had been thinking about what they were going to do. When they were older, and all I ever planned for was really sports, so my transition was really hard. Personally, Moby, I struggled uh, big time with like drugs and alcohol. I, I've been sober for a decade now, but my initial transition um, was really, really hard. And, it, and honestly, until I found my new mission, my new my new uh, career in technology sales, you know, I felt very, very lost.
0: You know. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, congratulations on 10 years. That's amazing. And I appreciate your openness because a lot of athletes, you know, struggle with some of the things that you just alluded to, uh, but they're not as honest and it's hard to transition. What I love about what you talked about finding your next mission, um, I talk about it a lot with the frugal Athlete. You know, as athletes, we love to compete. We love the game. And I feel like you said that you found that with software sales. So talk about software sales and sales in general. and you know, finding that next game, that level of competitiveness that you know keeps you, you know, I mean, doing very well.
1: Absolutely. So, so when I when I think about sports uh, in general, right, and it, it doesn't matter if it's hockey, if it's soccer, if it's football, baseball, volleyball, golf, you know, all these different sports. When you look at um, kind of like what it takes to be successful, um, you know, most most things that are, are, are uh, translating into sales are the things that are the intangible intangibles mm-hmm. right so the reason that I've had success in sales, the reason the people that have worked for me and with me that are former athletes are good in sales are like the little things right like preparedness, practicing things to get better um, focusing on execution right. Um, there's, there's, there's very few jobs in the world where there's a scoreboard sports and sales are two of those jobs, right? You know, exactly where you stand against your competition. Um, you're also, you're also competing every day, right? Like there's a winner and there's a loser in sales. So that aggressiveness, that discipline, that grit and effort, that defined you as an athlete because you wanted to win is the same exact thing that translate into sports, you know, and being prepared and, and focusing on execution is huge. Um, you know, the other thing that, you know, I think is important is it t- sales is a team sport, right? So no, no salesperson has ever closed a deal by themselves. There's a whole entire kind of group of people that go into selling a a large software solution that, you know, as a salesperson, you need to be able to pull these people together and focus on the same outcome. So, you know, that team atmosphere, that locker room atmosphere that, you know, you're playing, you know, not just for yourself, but for the guy and girl next to you. Um, And and you're working with people that may be different than you, might come from a different background, have different personalities, like different music, dress differently. Uh, But at the end of the day, You're, you're working together to achieve the same outcome. You know, I didn't really, I thought I lost that forever until I walked into my first sales floor and it it felt like I was back in the locker room again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I love that part of it, you know, and, and, and the other thing is there's very few people that can, that can be rejected and come back the next day with the same vigor and conviction that they had the day before. And athletes have that naturally. I know, I don't know about you, but I'm assuming because of the success you've had, you know, losses motivated me. Like I yeah. didn't, I didn't get cut from a team or lose a game and then give up. It actually made me work harder. And in sales, you lose more than you win. Even the best salespeople in the world lose more than they win. So the type of people that get motivated from loss to work harder are the type of people that are extremely successful in it. So there's a there's so many parallels between sales and sport. It's it's actually crazy.
0: No, I love that. And then for you specifically, you know, you mentioned working at, you know, some bigger firms and then taking a jump, you know, working for a startup. How do you, like, what was the process of like taking that leap of faith to, you know, obviously the end result was amazing. Congratulations to you because the company sold earlier this year. Um, But what was like, what did it take you to take a chance on yourself um, and and the startup as well? You know, less than 50 employees at the time.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I, Where I grew up, I'm a I'm a first generation college graduate. So like for me, the way my family kind of talked about the future was was like stability. Um, You know we you know most of my family's like firefighters. um, You know, and 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 people think about uh, you know how what what job can I get where I have a pension. You know that's kind of the thought process.
0: And you're the Um, oldest too.
1: yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. For me, you know, that this wasn't something that necessarily I thought I would ever do. And then, you know, I had a good buddy of mine actually that I met through hockey who explained to me one time he was like, Listen, JR, you can get rich on your W 2 as a salesperson. Like, salespeople can make a lot of money. You can make half a million to a million dollars a year fairly consistently for a decent amount of time. But in order to create wealth, you have to have ownership, you have to have equity, you have to you have to own something and, and help build something. And the only way to do that is to get into a company early, get your, you know, your shares, your, you know, your ownership in the business. And then, you know, yourself and everybody else on your team builds the company to be more valuable. And then the shares that you get when it's small are worth a lot more money when it's bigger and when it gets bought or when it goes public. So the idea of creating wealth through equity was a fairly new concept for me. And people, you know, it's funny, people talk about, you know, the riskiness of a startup. But like, at the end of the day, if you actually sat and compared what the job is, what the comp what the actual compensation is, meaning, you know, your base salary, your benefits, your potential commission, you if, if I removed a huge company name, and a, and a startup company name, and I gave you the same job description and compensation package, there, there would not be a very easy way to tell the two apart. So the, the risk of going to a startup is that the startup doesn't work out. But the risk of going to a big company is that a big company makes cuts all the time to make sure they meet mm-hmm. their Wall Street profitability numbers. So actually, I I would argue that it's riskier to go to a big company and just get buried in being one of the, one of a, a, a thousand other people um, and then eventually getting getting cut out of there out of nowhere, right? Like the yeah. CEO that got on Zoom and fired 900 people. Um, so I, I actually, I, I think at the time I thought it was risky, but now that I, I know more about the venture space and startup world, I actually think that it's, it's much less risky to go to a startup because you're getting the same compensation, but you're getting much, much different experience. You're touching every part of the business. You're not just another cog in the wheel. Everything that you do is meaningful. Every outcome that you drive matters to the bottom line. You know, I had, I, I had sales reps that worked for me that were 23 years old that closed deals that changed the trajectory of the company. Like mm-hmm. that's not that's not a, you're not going to get that type of opportunity at a large, you know, tens of thousand person company. Um, so, so for me, it's it's not really necessarily about the risk. It's about the opportunity, if that makes sense.
0: No, that makes complete sense. And I think it's synonymous with the way the transformation of how athletes are thinking. You know, you talked about wealth through equity equity, and then kind of betting on themselves, you know, taking that chance to trust your abilities to get the job done. And I want to ask you because, you know, another famous, you know, person in this in the sales space, uh, Mark Cuban, he says everyone should have a sales job at some point in their lives. Uh, I would love to know your sentiment around that um, before we get into, you know, how athletes can benefit in the sales space as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I use my sales skills every single day. I use my sales skills to convince my fiance to go to the restaurant that I want to go to. I use my I use my sales skills to get a seat at that restaurant when I didn't have a reservation. Um, you know, you you use it to influence. Um, you know, the people that you're surrounded by, your family, your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the ability. To reach out to somebody that you don't know and ask them to spend time with you, which is what's, you know, the entry level sales job is, is one of the most valuable talents you can have. Right. Like, you know, just think about for your for your podcast, the skills that that you're creating when you reach out to an athlete that you don't know at all whatsoever, that hasn't met you and giving them a reason to spend time with you. That's what you do in sales on a day to day basis, dozens of times a day. Think about how valuable that skill is forever, right? And that's why Mark Cuban says that because it doesn't matter what type of job you want to want to do. If you want to be an accountant, if you want to be a CFO, if you want to be a CEO, or if you want to be, you know, someone that works in HR, you, you're going to be doing some selling, whether that's internally in your own organization, externally to other vendors and partners, or even, you know, within your own department, right? Getting getting somebody to do something that you want them to do and convincing them that there's a there's there's motivation in it for them and there's positive outcomes in it for them. That's what selling is. Um, So I think that's a skill that's incredibly valuable for people to have.
0: No, I love that. And then let's, let's, let's get into the shift group, because obviously, you know, you're very successful tech software sales. Um, you don't have to start the shift group, you know, you're doing, you're doing well on your own. So what was the motivation behind the shift group? I, I know we talked offline when we uh, spoke earlier, there's a little bit of a personal connection to it. Um, and then how's it going so far? Yeah,
1: there, there, there's a few, there's really three reasons I started the company and they are all very personal. Um, the first is, you know, your question about like, what was the transition like for me? I, I wish that this, that somebody, Somebody like, out, like me was out there to explain to me at 23, like, dude, it's going to be okay. It's actually going to be awesome. And this is why. This is what the opportunity is. This is what the career path is. This is what it's going to take for you to be successful. So the number one reason I started the company is I, I know what the struggle of transition transitioning out of athletics is like, you know, on a personal level. Also, you know, from my family's experience, right? My brother played professional sports for 12 years played over 800 professional games, represented our country in the Olympics. Um, Incredible, like multiple all-star games, you know, a couple seven-figure contracts. Um, But he retired at 33 years old with three kids under five. And all of a sudden, you know, the agents, the players associations, the teams, the leagues, all these, you know, folks and organizations that have been around his old career were nowhere to be found, right? And, and, And nobody was... Nobody really—I don't want to say nobody cared—but he didn't get the tools to like really make like a like a logical, rational transition. I I remember he called me and he's like, you know, what should I do now? I'm like, take a stab at a resume, shoot it over to me. We'll make some tweaks. We'll we'll, I'll start making some calls for you. And he called me like ten minutes later and he's like, Jr., I I don't know where Microsoft Word is on my computer. And and I was like, you know, I was like, crap, like this kid has been you know, playing sports for 12 years, the only thing he's used his computer for is watching Netflix on the road. So like, that is the number one reason is like giving these kids and these, you know, former athletes an outlet, you know, to quickly make the transition and avoid that dark, those dark times I went through. The, the second reason is at the company I was at, uh, that, that we sold, you know, I interviewed over 5000 candidates, I hired, you know, probably close to a 1000 people and we struggled to find the great, great candidates. Like, you know, we had a saying, I had a saying, it was attitude over aptitude, but you'd be shocked to, to find out how many people will quit when something gets hard, right? Especially in, today, in today's society, we have a very short attention span and there's a million other options for, for and ways for us to spend our time. The reality is the reason you make a lot of money selling software, is because it's really hard, but you have to work through the hard points to, to get the value. And too many people quit when things get hard. So, and athletes don't quit, right? That's why mm-hmm. you that's how you become a, a professional or an elite athlete at the college level, is you've you've gone through a lot of adversity and you've come out the other side stronger. So the second reason I started the company is to help basically my you know, guys like me, girls like me that are out there trying to ba- build kick-ass sales organizations because I think my can- our candidates at Shift Group are the best candidates that these people can possibly hire. And then the third reason, honestly, is just to educate folks on this on this career. This career changed my life, changed my family's life. You know, there's, there's not many things you can do uh, without going to school for four years uh, and studying something special, without getting certifications you know, nobody cares where you grew up. Nobody cares where you're from. It's about, you know, did you show up today? Did you do your job? Did you pay attention? Did you work hard? And and are you getting better every single day? That's, that. there's very few careers that offer that with this, with the type of lucrative nature of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on your W-2, right? A lot of, you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, like these are you know, careers that people make a lot of money, but you got to go to school, you know, there's all these certifications. Tech sales is about coming in, working hard, competing every day, getting better every day. And the outcome could be, you know, it could be generationally uh, life-changing for for families. So I want people to understand that and realize that because I don't think a lot of people know that you don't need to be technical to sell technology, right? Like, that's the Mm -hmm. biggest thing is educating people on the career.
0: No, I completely agree about the education standpoint because you see the growth of tech and a lot of times you're saying, OK, you have to be a software engineer. You got to learn how to code or you got to do all these different things. But tech sales is a lane where anyone can jump in if you do it the right way. So you can talk about the process of, say, I'm an athlete, I'm about to retire, um, you know, I get with the shift group, fix my resume. Can we get some insight into, you know, it's lucrative, you know, you have a wonderful episode that you did as I was doing research, you know, W to your way to a million. Um, And obviously, as an athlete that's making money, they're going to, oh, okay, Um, But talk about that process um, and the possibilities and the potential for, you know, compensation in this software sales space.
1: Yeah. So so I mean, I think it's it's just like sports in the sense that, you know, when you when you go from you know, high school to college, you, you become a rookie again, right? And the, the reality is, is that, you know, in order to make this transition, you do you kind of kind of carry the water bottles again. That's what I say, right? So you do start in an entry level job, but you know, it's it's software sales. So you're talking, you know, 60 to $100,000 in your first base salary job, you're, you're carrying the water bottles, you're a business development rep, a sales development rep, account development rep but essentially your job is prospecting you're going out your you're understanding you know what companies need your technology you're reaching out to them to educate them on what your what your app what your you know application or platform can do for their organization you're researching past conversations that are, your company has had with the company you're researching all the relevant news about their their company why they should care about your unique value prop. Um, you understand, you know, how we've helped other companies in their industry before, um, we understand like who we think we need to speak to at every single customer. We leave thoughtful voicemails. We send great emails that are researched and thoughtful. And then we systematically follow up with them with a cadence to get, and, and, and every time we talk to them, we bring value. And then eventually we get them to meet. And that's the job you do for the first, you know, call it 12 to 18 months, and then you become account executive, and that's when you're, you're the one who's doing those first meetings. You're qualifying the customer. You're doing discovery to understand how their current mode of operations work, where there's inefficiencies and opportunities for improvement specific to your solution. You're getting them to admit that they have pain, and then you're educating them on how you solve their pain, meaning your software. You're working with an engineer to do a demo and make sure that there's alignment with your technology and their, and their environment. Um, and then you're, you are you know, once you get them on board, you're, you're, you know, ushering them through the close process, showing them where the return on investment is, what the total cost of ownership is, how much money are they going to save? And then, you know, basically convincing them to give you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And when you move from BDR to account executive, you know, you're, you're upgrading into, you know, guaranteed six figure territory, hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. You're selling to like SMB mid market companies, so companies under a billion dollars in revenue. You do that for a couple of years, you get even better at selling, and then you get promoted into the enterprise space where you're selling to the biggest. Companies in the world, you're selling bigger deals. The deals take a little longer. You're you're talking to more people. You need to be kind of a little bit more focused on execution, Um, and that's when you're making you know 200 to you know half a million dollars a year, and that only takes. You know, four or five years to get to if you work hard, pay attention, um, and you're coachable. So, you know, it's 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 a three to five year career path to get to that top level. And then you don't have to go that route either, right? And I know you and I talked about this, but there's opportunities from BDR to go into customer success, to go into marketing, to even I've 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 worked with guys that have moved into like sales operations or finance before from sales, right? So they they use their their in to the company through sales to get and work in other parts of the organization. Um, so hopefully that that gives you a little sense of like what the career path is and the and the nature of kind of how how, how
0: much money you can make. Oh, that's amazing. You know, if you look at it from the athlete standpoint, that's that's your rookie deal. You know, usually a three years guaranteed, two year option. So <laughs> if you think about it, if you make it past your rookie deal, everyone's trying to get that second deal. And, you know, so uh, I appreciate the breakdown. I think it's really interesting to see, you know, especially, you know, someone like myself and a lot of my peers, as we get older, some of the different lanes that you can kind of jump in, you know, you you mentioned being a doctor, a lawyer, and no disrespect to any of those professions, uh, but it requires another certification. Say you have to go back to MBA, you got to go to medical school, you got to take your LSAT, where tech sales, um, and this might sound like an ad, but you can jump right in with the skills that you already have. And let's talk about some of the skills that are transferable, because I know a lot of times athletes have a hard time. Uh, Well, I played soccer my whole life. So like, what is it? How do I translate? How do I tell them that I, you know, uh, how can we translate the skills and experiences that we've had uh, from sports onto a resume to get seen um, in front of some some of these, you know, growing, um, developing companies?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when, when we think about the, the sales skills or the, you know, you call them characteristics, call them behaviors, you know, at the end of the day, there's things that you've done as an athlete your whole life that you got to figure out a way to communicate in the interview process and on your, and on your you know, resume and on your LinkedIn, right? So things like teamwork, um, problem solving, uh, critical thinking. Um, you know, the, the behaviors I think of are most important are coachable, curiosity, and competitiveness, right? So like being, being coachable means that like, you know, the story I always use with, with candidates is um, me and my brothers had this like shooting gallery in our driveway growing up. And my dad used to tell us when we were little, you got to shoot 300 pucks a day, right? And, and I would always shoot 500 just to make a point. But he would come home and he would say, you know, how many pucks did you shoot today? I'd say I shot 500, Dad. And he would always ask me, well, how many backhands did you take? And in hockey, there's a backhand and a backhand's really hard and you're not really naturally good at it. And athletes are the only type of people that work on their weaknesses. Okay, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, in tech sales, when I started in tech sales, everything was a weakness. I didn't own a computer before I started the career. but the fact that i had spent my entire you know teenage years into my early 20s working on weaknesses made it really easy for me to be coachable it was somebody can tell me that i'm not good at something i don't take it personal i just say okay well how do i how can i get how can i get better at that how can mm-hmm. i work on that and then i'm okay i'm comfortable being uncomfortable right so that's the type of stuff that if you can if you can communicate it concisely and well in a conversation with a hiring manager they're going to make an offer on the spot because they're like, all right, this kid gets it. Right. Um, And then you can structure, you know, experiences, right. That you've had in the summers on teams. Like we've helped guys that played 13 years of professional basketball in Europe, you know, talk about how, you know, going out to the community and driving, you know, driving people to come to the game. That's a sales, that's a sales experience negotiating your own contract. That's a sales experience. We helped a kid who was a hot dog vendor at Fenway in the summer between his hockey career talk about how walking around this, the, the stands at Fenway selling hot dogs is directly related to selling technology, right? There's, there's so much that you do on a day-to-day basis as an athlete and, it, and that's kind of what our specialty is helping you kind of see and make those, the, the bridge to, to make that connection. So that you know, ultimately, it's about communicating it to the, these companies and these hiring managers. And once they under, once they see that you see the the likenesses, they're like, "All right, I want to give this kid a shot. Like, I think he can do really well because he gets it."
0: Yeah, I love that breakdown by the way, the the Fenway breakdown on your guys' video. Uh, we'll have that in the show notes um, if Jr. allows it um, for people that are interested in you know using the Shift Group as a service to you know know more, learn more about the software sales opportunities that there are. Um, So I appreciate you, you know, sharing that when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, you know, we talk about, you know, the athlete transition, you know, the potential opportunities to stay in a lucrative, you know, space, obviously, this is a full athlete podcast, we want to talk about, you know, personal finance, money management, what are some things that you'd recommend, you know, seeing it yourself, and then also, you know, having a brother that's played at a high level, you know, has faced, uh, multiple seven-figure contracts. What 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 advice would you have for someone you know that needs to learn more about their personal finance?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think and and I think you preach this, but the the first and foremost is like just forcing yourself to put away a percentage of everything that you make from day one. You know, I didn't do it right. I wish I had. Um, I got lucky and and had a big financial event later on in my life, so I I kind of made up for lost time. But, you know, I think me and my brother always talk about, like, I wish I could go back to like 22 years old and just every time I got a paycheck, just put 10 percent into savings. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the basic stuff. The other thing that that I think about now is like di- diversifying. Right. So like um, I have obviously I have some money in the stock market, but I but I haven't put everything in there. Right. I have a sa- regular savings account. But I have some money in the stock market. I also own some real estate um, as well, right? So, and it's not just residential. There's also commercial, you know, there's ways you can invest in commercial real estate without like putting up a big number. Like they have like ETFs and things like that. So I think, you know, saving a percentage every time you get paid, no matter what, like, and, and, you know, I'm laughing at myself because people have said this to me my whole life (laughs) and I never listened to them. And I'm sure- there's somebody listening right now being like, Oh, this guy's full of shit. Like, I'm, (laughs) you know, but I, I really like, I wish, I wish, I wish they just forced you to do that. Like I Uh, wish when you, when you opened a bank account, if you did automatic deposit every time, you know, a certain percentage went over to savings, but that would be seriously huge. And then just thinking about like, you know, the stock market crashes sometimes and real estate fluctuates. Right. So if you can, if you can kind of, you know, minimize your risk by having it, if you have enough cash to have, have it across multiple different places, that's a good, that's a good position to be in for sure. And then, you know, live within your means, obviously, right? Like my brother, um, his first contract, you you know, he only made one big purchase. He bought it, he bought a a, a really nice car. He bought like an Audi. It it was, uh, you know, for us, how we grew up, it was a, it was a really nice car. It was probably like $60,000. $60,000. And I thought, you know, we thought he was a movie star, even actually let me drive it off the lot, which was really cool. Love that. Um, yeah, taking care of his big brother. Um, but like, you know, if you can live within your means, like that's, that's huge. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses, right? I You yeah. know, I, I, I always talk about going from, you know, comparison to confidence, like don't Don't compare yourself to other people and don't don't worry about what other people are doing. Focus on yourself and, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. And I think that that can go a long way. And athletes should have that confidence not to worry about what other people are doing.
0: Exactly. And I know, you know, you talked about hindsight, like what you and your brother would have done if you guys were to, like, start again, you know, just from the standpoint of like to help the transition a little bit easier what advice would you have for you know some athletes you know is it like try to get some internships in the off season is it you know just stay curious uh, yeah. what, what would that be for you
1: so i there's a saying it's called it's it's not work it's network right yeah. um you know when you're an athlete when you're in the mix when you're playing you know you're the cool guy on the block you're the cool girl on the block right if you're at a big school or you're playing on a professional team you know there's people that want to that beat want to be around you their kids their kids look up to you you know their their companies are sponsoring your teams and stuff so they'll spend time with you you know one of the things that i think you know people do that are thinking about the future while they're in athletics is get to know these people, understand what they do. Why are they so successful? Why are they able to afford showing up in the suite at the end of the game and meeting the guys on the team, right? Why are they a booster for your college? Figure out what career they do. Ask them about their career, right? I'm a big believer that tech sales isn't for everybody, but I do think that, that there is something for everybody out there. Right. And the only way to figure out what's a good fit for you is to talk to people that are doing things. Right. I, you know, internships are great and all that other stuff, but, but the big, the bigger thing is, you know, when you're focused on being successful athletically, you, you don't have a lot of time for that stuff, but you always have time to meet new people and get to know those people and understand their backgrounds what? Why they become successful? What do they like about what they do? What do they not like? What about what they do? And those types of conversations, you're going to start to learn a lot about what's out there and what the opportunities are, and 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 what things offer the things that are important to you. And everybody's different, so the more people you can have those conversations with while you're still an athlete, and they care and they want to talk to you, that's even better.
0: Oh, I love that, and uh, I think the the big the biggest thing I took away from that is that you have to be intentional about it. And uh, you know, you talked about, you know, being more interested than interesting, you know, asking questions, being intentional, and uh making sure it's not just like checking a checkbox. So appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's sound advice for any athlete at any stage to you know start right away. So let's and we're getting to the end of the podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time. For the people that want to connect with you, how can they do so? If they're wanting to learn more about, you know, the transition, obviously, software sales. You have a great course uh, on how to, you know, fix up your resume. If you're looking to transition, what are the ways that they can connect with you if you'd be so kind to share?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, You can email me directly at jr at shiftgroup.io or just, or just visit our website, www.shiftgroup.io and, and, you know, hit me up and, you know, part of our process, like, like Amobi said, we'll, we'll help you with your resume LinkedIn. You know, and then we just put you in front of a bunch of different companies. We can connect you with our mentor network. We've helped, you know, hundreds of athletes make this transition. So, um, you know, I think it, hit us up on the website, hit me up directly on email and, and we'll jump right in. I got a big team behind me um, and, and we're, we're going to really blow it out of the water in 2022.
0: I'm excited to see what's, uh, what's in store. Last question. Can you talk about the difference between working, you know, um, startup versus starting your own?
1: Oh man, um, I think the biggest difference is uh, I got nobody to point fingers at
0: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like the last know? line of defense, <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. When I was a when I was a VP of sales, I, you know, I could blame I could blame the chief marketing officer that our messaging sucked. I could blame the CEO that you know our compensation plans weren't good enough to motivate the sales reps. I could blame the, you know, the the CFO for not negotiating deals, but when, when you start your own thing and you're in charge of everything, if it's not going well, or if a mistake is made, you know, I'm a big believer in extreme ownership. It's on you. Like the, you know, when you point your finger at someone else, three fingers point back. Right. So um, the reality is, is quote, yep. there's there's nobody to point a finger at. So all the fingers <laughs> are pointing at you. That's the biggest nah. difference, man, is, is accountability, 100%.
0: Nah, I love that, especially as you know, more and more athletes are becoming entrepreneurs as well. I think it's great advice to understand like, You can't blame the coach for, oh, he don't like my style of play. Can't blame the GM. Oh, he's trying to cut down on my salary. Can't blame. It's on you. And uh, you got to be accountable, take extreme ownership. Uh, But JR, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, We're going to have all your show notes uh, in the description. So make sure, sorry, all your information in the show notes. So if you guys are interested, make sure you guys tap in with JR. You know, someone that's willingly, you know, you know, volunteering his time to help other athletes. He doesn't have to, you know, he could be living on his, exit um but he's doing a lot of great things that you know helping other athletes so appreciate you JR and uh hopefully we'll connect soon awesome great to meet you thank you so much thanks for having me most definitely Thank you for tuning in to this podcast episode. For more information, check out the show notes and go to our website, www.afruitableathlete.com. If you enjoyed, please leave a favorable rating and review and share and subscribe. Thank you so much.